subject to this in Ace Attorney Fancast. I'm Stephanie, straight and luscious. I'm Michelle, wavy and burnable. <laughs> That's right. We're back. It's 2021. Uh, thank you, everybody, who said Happy New Year to us. It's very Yay. sweet. Yay! And Happy New Year to all of you as, as January flies by in the blink of an eye. Ah, yes. It's it's that time where last time we did some AVPs, we got some great fan art of Baby with Gun from Jams. <laughs> thank you, Jams. <laughs> thank you, Jams. Uh, and so we hope to continue on the train of, we did wrap up our playthrough of Investigations 2, so we want to continue down that train of recaps and all that stuff. But before that, Michelle, is there news? No. Of cool. course not. <laughs> we missed news a couple of months ago about the the some art drop for that Capcom Cafe again, but honestly, that's a dead horse that we can't keep beating. So no, no. there's no news. The, the longer short as the cafe did drop new art, and the longer you stare at it, the more upsetting it becomes. So go have yeah. fun looking at that. <laughs> um, but before we get into any sort of recap summary, uh, we did get an email. From our one and only Belgian listener. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Uh, hi, Alexandra. Uh, I don't think we have anyone else we can direct you to to build up your Belgian fan base, but I believe in you and your ability to build up a Belgian fan base for our, our nice little podcast in the corner of the universe. <laughs> also, also for Ace Attorney. <laughs> and also for Ace Attorney, I guess. Yeah, you could like things That's besides more us. That's important. That's a better order. Um, but the important thing is that we got some Belgian candy and, um, we, we got Belgian candy to our email or we got, oh, I'm sorry. We got <laughs> Belgian candy suggestions for various characters, favorite candies, which a couple episodes ago, we were going through what candies do people like. This is very important. And this is very important, mostly because I don't know how to pronounce any of these candies. Ah, so co- comedy gold of mispronouncing words that are not in our language. Yeah, and so Alexandra <laughs> wants to say, like like you asked, or at least, you know, what I thought you asked is about Belgian candy that a cast would eat. I kind of approached a question from the other way around. I compiled a list of sweets I consider to be typically Belgian and then assigned AA characters to them. Nevertheless, here I present to you them by character. I tried to add pictures, but it instantly became a mess, so if you want to look them up, Google them. Okay. Um, so... So Phoenix has been assigned the Bebelutin. Bebelutin. What is a Bebelutin? It's a butter-based caramel-like sweet. They're very firm and individually wrapped, so Phoenix could just carry them around with him, uh, and they won't melt in his pocket like chocolate. Okay. It's like a it's like a Werther's. It's like a Werther's, I'm pretty <laughs> a sure. A firm caramel. I enjoy a firm caramel, but... Yeah. I also like this, this image Alexander brought, which was uh, before Phoenix eating one and, like... Uh, picture him being in recess and he's eating one and then he's awkwardly standing in the courtroom with the remainder of the candy in his mouth because he didn't finish eating it in time because it apparently takes a long time to eat these. Uh, I could That could totally happen. It's Phoenix rolling a hard candy around his mouth in court trying to play it off Your Honor, I just like to say <laughs> Phoenix, what the fuck? <laughs> You're embarrassing. Um, uh, for Maya, how about some... Uh, Chocotofs, <laughs> which oh, are chocotof. absolutely stickiest chocolates out there. So they're just sticky chocolates. And Maya would chew, would, uh, would stuff her face with them and not be able to chew anymore. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. 
uh, Pearl would eat what's uh, sometimes called UFOs or owls. Uh, are colorful and round, made out of edible paper and filled with acid powder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I imagine sour, right? Sour yeah. powder or something. Yeah, sour powder, probably. Imagine Pearl would be fascinated by soft colors and then they would, eat, uh, her and Maya would eat them and make sour faces and it'd be super yeah. cute. That'd be so, that would be cute. Uh, Miles, licorice. And not the sweet black colored candy, but actual lic- licorice from the Netherlands. Apparently it's not popular in Flanders. Uh, but it's commonly sold as genuine licorice. It's just very much an acquired taste. I think that in, in, uh, like, certain countries in Europe, it's salted. Like, licorice is salted. So it's probably that kind, right? It's, like, black licorice and also salty. I mean, like, so I'm confused now because, like, I thought, like, real licorice was, like, the black-colored kind. And then the, like... Fake licorice was like our Twizzlers, red cherry, strawberry, whatever flavor kind. But you're telling me there's a secret other kind of licorice? I'm not surprised there's a secret other kind of licorice. It's probably made out of plants and shit too, right? Like probably real licorice is like pure plant infused plant. <laughs> what? Just... Tree jerky? Is it tree jerky? <laughs> Fruit leather. Fruit leather. But it's salty and it tastes like um, anise seeds. <laughs> I, I can see how that could be an acquired taste. It's definitely something I don't have, so... <laughs> right. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but uh, how about uh, for Kay, the Smurf and Snoop? Smurf, Smurf and Snoop. <laughs> That's gotta be wrong. <laughs> S-M-U-R-F-E-N-S-N-O-E-P. I mean, you're doing your best. I'm just... <laughs> I don't think that... But what is it? Schriffenstrop is a simple something uh, gummy and jummy and the shape of something Belgian. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I don't want to. I, I love wa- it, though. <laughs> um, I'm going to skip down, uh, you know, because, like, yeah, Diego is something, something that's got coffee-flavored. Uh, Francie is something like coconut. Uh, Mia, a a uh, Cafe Noir brand of cookie thing. Uh, Grossberg, uh, Napoleon Bolian, which is apparently a sour lemon flavored delight from Belgium. I love that. Napoleon Bolian. <laughs> uh, let's see. Clavier, uh, uh, how about some Coubertons, which, uh, I don't know. It's a recipe that's well kept secret, but they kind of taste like raspberry. Hmm. Huh. Uh, yeah. Christoph. Oh boy. Anti-war pans is in parentheses. Oh, that's a pronunciation. Thank you so much. <laughs> I probably still said it wrong. Um, they're very fancy and expensive hand-shaped chocolates with delicate uh-huh. filling of marzipan fill, uh, marzipan, sorry, marzipan-like substance drenched in traditional anti-warp uh, liquor, precisely this exquisite candy. Exactly on brand. That's like the most, There, there's none of that here, and so we couldn't have found anything that close. <laughs> Uh, for Athena, spectres, spectres, jews, des, <laughs> spectres are similar to marshmallows, uh, but they're not quite the same. Apparently, you pull them apart and they snap. Uh, and huh. they do have bubble tape in Europe, I'm being told. Oh, okay. I mean, not that bubble tape's any good, but. <laughs> uh, no, it's really not. They don't have candy corn, apparently. Uh, good. 
but and so so uh, Alexander thought it was like a popcorn kind of deal, which would be better. But no, candy corn is just waxy sugar. Yeah, we do have caramel corn here, and that's good. And like candied popcorn, if you go to the the luxury popcorn distributors, it's true. Uh, let's let me give you uh, one more. Uh, Trucy has speculas, speculates. There's two A's. Uh, according to the dictionary, English term is crunchy, light spiced biscuit. Uh, oh. But it is famous. Uh, the region that Alexander's from is famous, and traditionally, it's not exactly crunchy. Trucy, she gave us a Trucy. Trucy, as she would probably have grown up with it, and would just love how the shapes it comes with and make her happy. Yeah, that sounds fun. That's whimsy. It's whimsy. Uh, and I'm going to say this last one because it's Emma and it looks, I'm going to say it wrong. It says icebergs in parentheses, but it's spelled Ijaskal Burgages. <laughs> There's a lot of J's in there. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, no one calls them by that name. You know, the little round cookies with a little bit of hard co- colored sugar on top. And that's what Emma would eat aggressively and munch on. Okay, yeah, I'm into uh, it. Uh, but yes, thank you, Alexandra, for listening and finding us. And uh, thank you f- for continuing on with us. And I hope we bring you joy. Yeah, and thank you for all your insight about the weird way that you got into the series, because I always find that fascinating. If anyone out there ever wants to email us about how they got into Ace Attorney and the weird path that they took, I'm always interested. Yeah, because my weird path is Michelle gave me a copy of the game to play. <laughs> That's it's not, not that weird, weird. at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, we'd like to always hear how you guys found Ace Attorney. And then most of the story goes, I love Ace Attorney. So then I searched iTunes and I was like, wow, there's a podcast. Wow, it's still happening. Hot dang. <laughs> that part is a little bit more universal. Is like, wow, I'm so obsessed with this dumb franchise that I went to iTunes and I typed it in. And lo and behold, you idiots are here. That one is almost 100% how it goes for everybody. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a-okay with me. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for for being a part of this, whatever this is. Yes, thank you. Um, all right, so now why don't we move on to the main course all of right. this episode. So now we're getting into the investigation two spoilers, if you care about that. L- stop listening now. Sorry, catch you next month. Um... But now we're going to talk about the Forgotten Turnabout. Which which one is that? Three? Four? Four? four. Three, we're on three, four, I think. Okay. AEI 2, yeah. four. Case four. Case four. All right. Okay. When last we left our heroes, Judge Courtney was going to tell the Prosecutorial Investigation Committee all about Edgeworth meddling all the time, right? Right. Uh-oh, you in trouble. Uh, Kay just learned that the justice system is fucked, actually. Um, Ray got the, you know, the his old boss's son to resolve his only open case. That's <laughs> what I've written here. <laughs> True. So, you know, we've, we've just finished Daddy Edgeworth's last case, and we've solved it. We found the real culprit. Everybody lives happily ever after, except for we can't no actually one. get masters out because of the technicality. Right. Um, so actually, it's we 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 fit we won the case, but we all feel really bad about. We it. all feel bad except Ray, who doesn't have to do any work anymore. <laughs> but Edgeworth is kind of in this quandary of whether he really whether uh, the prosecutor's path is really the right path for him. That's kind of where we leave off at the end of the last case. 
Right? Yeah. Okay. Opening cutscene. We have interstitial cut is like the PIC with Edgeworth on trial and a bunch of shadowy figures and him on the stand. Cut to K in front of this Japanese ass moon with sakura petals falling, talking to a person in a raincoat, being like, who are you? Intercut with pictures of a skyscraper with a big LED clock. And it's like, bam, bam, bam. And then K screams and falls into blackness. Boop. And it, it looks like a big fall. It does. It does look like a big fall. Uh, and she's doing a screaming for a long time. Oh, no. What'll happen? Okay, Edgeworth's office. It's daytime. Edgeworth is going to his PIC hearing today. And Gumshoe is pacing around being very worried. Like, what'll happen if you're not a prosecutor anymore? And uh, Edgeworth's like, maybe you can find a good boss then. <laughs> He's like, don't say that, Mr. Yeah, Edgeworth, he's like, don't please. do that. Hey, don't do that. Uh, I cleaned your office six times this morning. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> in comes a nurse. Her name is Kareen Jensen. And she comes from the Die Young Hospital. Die being spelled D-Y-E. Like the, like the coloring. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it better. Hey, Stephanie, do you want to describe what Kareen looks like? Yeah, Kareen looks like a young lady uh, with black hair pulled up and a, like, very traditional stereotyped nurse outfit with, like, the little hat. And is she wearing, like, the white nurse dress or is she wearing scrubs? I can't remember. It's the dress. It's the dress. So, like, a white dress that's, like, very starch clean. Um, I don't know, she's kind of nondescript. Like, there's not a whole lot to her. She's got short little sort of side bangs and and her little nurse hat has a pill on it and she's got a little red bow but yeah she's just very much like a nurse yeah Uh, i will say they probably just didn't look up a nurse outfit because it looks a little more like a chef's coat but you know it just it it is very like weirdly dated and she's got big old puffy sleeves yeah all right um so kareen comes in and she's like Hey, uh, she's accompanied by a mysterious girl in pink scrubs with a blanket over her shoulders and bandages on her cheek and across one of her eyes and around her head. And the girl looks like about Kay's height and about the same color hair as Kay and the same eyes as Kay and also sounds like Kay. Wow, is it Kay? I don't know. Who knows? Kareen is like, I found this girl stumbling around last night and she has amnesia. But one of the only things she was holding is Edward's business card. So I brought her here. A sound choice, Kareen. Yeah, and Gumshoe's like, well, pal, she must be an acquaintance of Mr. Edgeworth, so you could definitely leave her here with us unattended, and we will figure out who she is. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? Which, like, thank God it's Gummy. Thank God it's Gumshoe, yeah. And so Kareen's like, oh, great. And she's like, also, she was wearing this weird badge with, that's shaped like a bird wings with three feet, and also these weird clothes, and they're like, oh, it's Kay. <laughs> It must be Kay. So Gumshoe's like, Kay, you forgot me? How dare you forget me? Don't you remember me? And she's like, no, and I'm sorry I was rude to you and called you Gummy. So her entire personality is kind of flipped. She's like very polite and reserved now. Gumshoe uses the words sensitive and delicate and frail. Which I guess are correct. Well, yeah. I mean, we kind of mostly use it for a gag in that like Edgeworth's like, don't say that, Gumshoe, because it makes it sound like... Kay's not normally sensitive or delicate, like, and whatever. Anyway, so the nurse gives us the rest of what Kay had on her, her clothes, including the Yagaterasu badge, a jamming ninja mask, a purple flower, 
a ticket stub to the top of the Grand Tower, and a note that reads, Dear Kay, I promise I'll get it back for you, your most precious memory from Crane. And so Gumshoe sends the clothes to the lab to get tested, and then we're like, well, we better go to the Grand Tower. We go to the Grand Tower. It's actually quite bumping. There's a movie being filmed at the bottom in which we barge through their set and embarrass ourselves thoroughly. And then we go to the observation deck. Um, while we're at the observation check, there's, there's like a cherry tree. And then there's a cotton candy stand at the edge of the observation deck. Um, Kay remembers being under the cherry tree and someone in a red raincoat approaches her from behind the cotton candy booth. And Edgeworth can't fucking help himself, cross-examines her, and is like, well, if you had been under the tree and someone approached you for that booth, they would have been a flying ghost because you can't come from behind on top of a building. And this distresses Kay greatly. Yes, she starts freaking out because her memory's busted. And then she remembers that she was pushed off. She's like, the Ranko person pushed me off the building. And Edra's like, really? A flying man pushed you off a skyscraper and you lived? What an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Gumshoe was being very nice to Kay this entire time, and Edward's like, we need to, you know, be nice to the girl, and then gives her, like, the fourth degree burn, and, like, she ain't okay. Absolutely, yeah, it's, like, definitely, yeah, she's freaking out, and her freaking out's bright is very scary, her eyes, like, start wiggling around, and she puts her hands to the sides of her head, and, like, she, like, can't hold her head still, and is, like, shaking visibly, and it's distressing for me, the player, and right. me who was reading her lines. It was just all very upsetting. It's, it's a very distressing sprite. So, you know, Edgeworth's just pushing buttons. Um, but then a cop comes upstairs and the cop's like, nobody move. There's been a moida. And, and Gumshoe's like, I'm a cop. Tell me what happened. And so they've discovered a body downstairs. So down we go. And whoops, turns out the body is in the PIC tribunal room. And we are all extremely surprised, even though we have a a hearing here today. Edgeworth has a hearing here today, but yeah, he didn't know We're not know surprised about the body. We're surprised about, oh, this is where the PIC hearing huh. room is. I can't believe the PIC hearing. Edgeworth is like, I know they moved recently, but I didn't know it was to this building. It's like, oh, so you were just going to not attend your own hearing, huh? Yeah, or he just didn't bother looking up the address at all. <laughs> right, yeah. So the PIC, we're told, we're told the PIC hearing room's on the top floor of the building, um, Kareen, the nurse, is already here, and, uh, so is her grandma, Bonnie Young, because remember, it's the Die Young Clinic, so Bonnie Young is one of the namers of the clinic. Do you want right. to describe grandma? Yeah, Granny is a, like, little old lady, very hunched over. She's got, like, light purple hair pulled up into a very oval, big bun. She's got thick glasses, um, and a stethoscope that she's got in her ears. Her glasses are square. Uh, and she's got a lab coat on. She walks with a cane, and Bonnie's and always holding her hand. Or not Bonnie, Kareen is always holding her hand. Right. Um, and this is important that they're like, oh, like, sh- Bonnie is never alone in her sprites, I feel. No, Maybe I don't she- think so. Like, Kareen's always holding her hand, which is important because of the way they talk. Yeah. I will say, I think we flip, when we were playing it on stream, I think we flip-flopped the name of the nurse, either Karen or Kareen. I flip between them. It's spelled K-A-R-I-N, which I know, like, 
from that girl from Naruto is pronounced Kareen in Japanese. I don't know what it is supposed to be. I think the the joke of her name, or like the pun of her name is like Karen Gentle. Yeah, Karen Jensen. Probably that. Is Karen Jensen supposed to be like Karen Gentle? So like, I think it's supposed to be like Karen. Probably. We'll probably flip some more, but Karen, (laughs) Kareen, whatever. Just so so you know. Anyway, they're already there doing an autopsy, and they're like, get away from here, Edgeworth. Like, fuck you. And then Franzi shows up. And and you're like, oh, what are you doing here, Franzi? She says cryptically that she's on assignment to take down a smuggling ring, but she's in charge of the case. Uh, so you know it's going to be spicy. <laughs> um, so with Franzi's authority, uh, Grandma and Karen let us investigate the body. The body is a lady with long brown hair. Kind of looks like Mia without bangs. Um, she's, yeah. she's wearing a nice white suit, knee-high black riding boots, and a black tie. There are white gloves tucked into her lower pocket. Those are clean and look unused. She's covered in blood. Like, the front of her is covered in blood. Her head, it's running down her face a little bit. Uh, and then her left palm is bloody. Um, she's placed smack dab on the PIC leader's desk, very, like, delicately, in sort of the position you'd be in if you were sleeping. Um, there's no blood around her at all. Uh, nearby, there's a big giant statue of Justice, uh, like, behind where all the PIC people would sit. There's a big lady, Lady Justice, and then under the feet of the Justice statue is a giant pool of blood and there's a little candelabra there that's a three-pronged candelabra with a star-shaped base uh and it's all bloody and shit so we're like two plus two (laughs) clearly this is the murder weapon right but also clearly the body must have been moved because how'd all this blood get here Mm -hmm. um she has a burn on the back of her right hand and it is holding a key card which is used to access the pic room There was a corsage on her right side, the non-bloody side, but it's been torn off. And so Gumshoe and Edgeworth are like, "Uh uh-oh, it's probably the purple flower that Kay was found wandering around with it. And they get a little nervous that Kay might be a suspect. Um, And then this lady, there's a little notebook sitting next to her that's Kay. It says Kay on it or something. Like, it's like a little, some more incriminating evidence next to her. Uh, so just as we're getting nervous that Kay might be thought to be a suspect, uh, Sebastian, DeBest, and Court- Judge Courtney show up. Uh, and Courtney's like, oh, that dead lady is, her name was Jill Crane, and she was a fellow PIC member uh, and a defense attorney. So, you know, no female defense attorneys have survived this damn series. <laughs> well, Callie, so you did, but, you know, still. But she didn't stay a defense attorney, so. Right, yeah. Her career um, did not last, but I will say, like, I am now looking up her, like, wiki page picture, and damn, I did not realize how much she looks like Mia. Jill she Frey. looks exactly like Mia, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but without the bangs. Also, I'm sorry, I'm also, like, I've, I've pulled up, you know, Google Images, and uh, Jill Crane, Ace Attorney Wiki, related images, hottest characters, defendants lobby, like, hottest. And that, yeah, and that's from the court records forums, I'm not clicking it, but just, this is like, she dead. Hey, court records. She dead. Is dead man on the list of hottest characters? I'm not clicking it. <laughs> this is not what next episode's going to be about. I will die first. <laughs> okay, right, so on. we have this little discussion. Oh, that's Jill Crane. Um, 
we also have gotten the key card logs and the key card logs now we kind of understand them as they show that somebody entered it last night at 22:15 p.m. um which is like 10:15 and then uh, they somebody entered it 0:52 a.m. but that like the first one the person who entered is blank and then the second one the person who entered at 0:52 a.m. is Jill Crane so we're like oh this is that makes sense Meanwhile, Grandma is done with the autopsy report. The report says that Jill Crane died at midnight yesterday and that there was a head wound that occurred after death. Literally, no one is talking about why her hand is bloody. Can't even look at it. No one is mentioning it. Can't look at, can't, can't deduce anything about them chest wounds. We wasted so much time just clicking that hand being like, why can't we look at them? Why is her hand bloody? Someone talk about it. <laughs> um... So Courtney is immediately like, Kay Faraday killed this woman. I found this letter in her left breast pocket that says, To Crane, thank you for helping me with my plan. I'm glad we can help each other get what we want. It's like killing two birds with one stone. Please get revenge for 12 years ago. Signed, Kay. And so Edgeworth's like, oh, you found that note in her left breast pocket? And Courtney's like, yes, her left breast pocket. And you're like, oh, you're her left breast pocket? And you're like, yes, her left breast pocket. And Edgeworth's like, that's where the bloody stab wounds are. Ha! Gotcha. <laughs> So and everyone's like, wait, what? Yeah, and then as Courtney's like, what? That's no no way, because I found it in the left breast pocket. And you're like, Courtney, we can confirm from the key card logs that somebody else was here. Clearly, that person was just lying in wait to kill them. And Courtney's like, that was me, motherfucker. I was here preparing for your hearing. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Everybody did not do it. Um, but immediately, before you could say anything else, the chairman of the PIC enters. That's Blaze DeVez. Blaze DeVez comes in. Is this the first time we meet Blaze? Yeah. God, I feel like I've known him my whole life <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Blaze? No, but we should. All right. Let's... So uh, you heard, you heard right, right? Like, oh, wait, DeBest? Blaze DeBest? Wait, Blaise, what? Yeah, Blaze DeBest. Sebastian DeBest. How come they have the same last name? Uh, Blaze DeBest is Sebastian's father. Um, to describe Blaise DeBess is to describe sadness and <laughs> hatred and bad, deci- bad, bad decisions. Uh, let me explain. Blaze has motorcycle goggles that he wears all the time, and when he cries, they fill up and he has to empty them out. Okay, that's kind of gross, but whatever. It's, it's a character thing. Uh, his hair is the same color as uh, Sebastian's, kind of like this, like brown dirty dishwater brown blonde color i don't it's a very unappealing color <laughs> <That's>, honestly <laughs> yeah but i would probably just explain it as sort of cardboard color like the the color of cardboard yeah that that's pretty apt so it he's got long hair probably goes down to about his mid back he also has a long beard that goes about to like mid like just like mid chest just past the sternum uh, and it's like a it frames his face that when he frowns looks kind of like a sad monkey. Uh, he does. His, he has a beard, but no mustache and no, no sideburns. And no sideburns. I, well, I can't say no sideburns because his hairline melds into his beard. <laughs> That's true. There yeah. is no distinction between the two, so it's kind of like the. It's like a whole situation where just his like center face is poking out. He's got bangs that touch the goggles, so he's got an, you know his nose and his mouth are in view. Um, He's wearing a red leather jacket 
with the uh, prosecutor's ba uh, badge embroidered on the sleeve. He's also got one on his lapel and about like four times uh, over 20 badges on his on the actual side of his jacket. His shirt is a black shirt. And it's very important that I mention that it is vacuum sealed to his body. <laughs> you can see every defined ridge of his muscles. And I'm I don't want to say I'm not abs. looking at him right this second, but it's shiny too, right? It's like very, um, not, I wouldn't say shiny as much as it would be very shadowed. The shadows and highlights are super emphasized on his abdomen. I don't know if this is how abs are ever supposed to behave, but that is what we're looking at. Um, his belt buckle is a skull with, like, little fangs. It's just the top half of a skull with little fangs. His pants match, and he's wearing, like, black motorcycle boots or, like, knee-high black boots, basically. Yeah, I think motorcycle boots is accurate, but we'll find out about that next case. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, he, uh, his sprites mostly also contain um, playing with a lighter and... Play, crying, playing with the lighter, and there's one other one. Well, he cries. He cries, and then he fills up his goggles with the tears, and then he he tilts the goggles so that the tears fall out. When he's crying, he is like holding his beard, like and pulling on it, and like wringing it out. That's the other like important thing. So like Blaze is not necessarily one who's enjoyable to speak with for many reasons, but I like mean, you know. I recall much of the time us talking, me being like, this man would smell a horrible. <laughs> like, I can't think of another way to describe Blaze, except that you look at him and you think, stinky. He, yeah, he kind of looks like a hippie who, like... He's covered in tears all the time and, like, burning shit constantly. Yeah. So, like, just, like, not a good vibe. But he is, he does exude authority and power. He tries to. He clearly he's, thinks he's powerful, but we'll have to get in. We'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, we'll have to get into more. it. But that's like the aura he comes in with is I am an important, powerful person. Yeah. Um. And, and Sebastian's like pops. Yeah. But uh, so Blaze walks in and Blaze immediately demands that Kay be arrested, and Edgeworth is like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no, you know like we're just getting started. There's no firm evidence against her, and so they we go back and forth a lot of times and with Courtney as well, and then eventually they're like Edgeworth. You, if you keep trying to defend her, you're going to lose your prosecutor's badge. Um, and so Edgeworth gives up his badge. In or, in or, like He's faced with choosing between being a prosecutor and, and defending his friend, and he gives up his badge. Uh, and Kay feels super guilty about this and is like, you're, you know, you're ruining everything for me, and I probably did it anyway. So she runs away. Now she's a suspect on the run from the cops. So... Edgeworth runs after her. Uh, Gumshoe stays behind because he doesn't work for us anymore. We're not a prosecutor. So Edgeworth goes looking for Kay at his office and he finds Ray for some reason. And he so he briefs Ray on it and Ray's like, well, why don't we look the last place she had her memory? She's probably trying to get her memories back. So we go back to the viewing, viewing platform. Uh, and sure enough, she's there up a tree trying to jog her memory. <laughs> So we investigate around a little bit with Ray and we're watching TV news coverage of a helicopter shot of the building because they're talking about this wanted murderer teen um, 
And so we have a galaxy brain moment where we're like, wow, the light from the PIC room on the helicopter shot is uh, is not at the top floor. There's It's actually one floor down from the top floor. So gasp, there's a secret 51st floor. And so we find a secret hatch and we go down to the secret floor. The secret hatch is placed right underneath the cherry tree. The cherry tree that was so central to Kay's memories. Um so we go down the hatch, and who's there? It's fucking Emma Sky for some reason. <laughs> Emma's here. And you're like, Emma, what are you doing? And she's like, uh, science? She's like, Gumshoe called me. Clearly you need my help. Uh, so anyway, there's a ton of stuff down here. It's like a big, dark, like sort of concrete room. And there's a big, giant statue that looks vaguely South American. Um, and there's like bits and bobs uh, all of which are from old are pieces of evidence from edgeworth's old cases and then there's a rack of masks um from like jam and Indra's steel samurai and another show that uh they the characters all talk about as if edgeworth is insane for never having heard of before but it's just a new one that they made up so he doesn't know and we don't know <laughs> you know whatever yeah um, so, and then all of the little items of evidence have price tags on them or near them. So we're like, ah, clearly this is some sort of, some sort of crime storage room. Uh, one of the items that's here is the Muzilla doll with one horn on it from our first case. And then there's a dust print that's oddly star-shaped. And we're like, aha, the candelabra, the candelabra, it used to be here. And there's piles of cash money, crack crimes. Clearly. Um, and then who jumps out from behind that statue? It's Lada Hart. <laughs> yes, Lada. You've been waiting for her. You've yeah. been waiting. This game couldn't be complete without Lada showing up. You're like, yeah, there's there's not enough people in this room between Gumshoe, or not Gumshoe, Gumshoe's not here, Edgeworth and Ray and Emma and Kay and, oh, here's Lada. <laughs> so, turns out, Lada was tipped off about a big black market auction and she was hiding in here to get the scoop. Uh, and she so she tells us that the masks were used by the customers of the auction. And they have voice changers in them. People would come down the hatch and take a mask and look at all the little items that they could auction on. And then go down an elevator to the auction. There were 11 attendees in total. Lotta watched. Like this happened hiding sort of not really watched but more listened. Hiding behind the statue. And then when the auction was on she like peered through a crack in the floor where the elevator is um not like a broken crack but just like the light the seam between the elevator and the floor uh and uh, she was like and there was an auction conductor and they wore a white suit with white gloves and then uh, one of the specific masks from that new show a zervan mask is what they said which is only noteworthy in that most of the masks like pink princess cover the whole face but the zervan mask only covers like the top half of the face and then a little bit down around the mouth area but the mouth area is exposed the mouth and chin on the zervin mask um but lana's being cagey of course so we have to logic chess her and uh we logic chess her and she reveals that she saw the conductor talking with somebody in the storage room uh and then she was hiding and she heard a cry and a big loud noise and then she, like, reached out her hand, took a picture, and there's a photo of someone in the red raincoat with blood on their left hand taken right after the conversation. And then after that, the auction kept going. Um, so, 
Edgeworth finds this big trunk, like a costume trunk, and he's like, oh, clearly the body was hidden in this costume trunk, so no one would notice, and then uh, moved later. And we use Emma, uh, Emma's forensics, and we find a bunch of blood by the elevator, and it's like, oh, clearly they died here, and the blood dripped down to the lower floor, and then they uh, hit him in the trunk and then moved him. So, you know, cut and dry, right? Yeah, um, yeah, we got this in the bag. This we is great. Signs, and Lana's like, well, I could have swore that trunk was locked before all this happened because I was going to hide in the trunk, but instead I had to hide behind the statue. And we're like, whatever. Um, meanwhile, Raymond Shields is in this elevator being a horn dog about all these teens. I don't want to talk about it, but we kind of have to talk about it. I want it. to just acknowledge it. I'm sure yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it later. But I mean, like, there's five people in this room, and this is what Ray is doing. Uh, we'll talk about it later. So we decide to take the elevator down uh, to see where it goes. And wouldn't you know it, it's exactly to the PIC room, right, where that statue is with all the blood underneath. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, so everyone we left is in that room, Sebastian and Gumshoe and everyone. And so Sebastian immediately is like, there she is, get her. And so we're like swarmed by cops. And Franzi rolls up and she's like, wait, 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 wait. I have to kick my brother's ass now that he's not a prosecutor. <laughs> everyone just wait a second because this is unacceptable. Um, and so we kind of go back and forth with Franzi and she admits that she knew about the black market auction because that's the real case that she's really here for. And we sort of spitball about Lada's testimony and get more testimony out of Lada. And here's the new theory of the case we create. Crane... Jill Crane was a customer at the black market auction. She was not the conductor, despite her appearance, because the auction continued after she died. So she definitely died during the auction. The murder occurred upstairs in the storeroom with the candelabra, which was an auction item. The candelabra was left in the body to prevent any extra bleeding. And then it was after the death, it was moved to the meeting room to hide the fact that the secret contraband floor existed right that's the new theory right courtney and blaze roll up and they're like we found a red raincoat it was jill crane's blood on the hood of the red raincoat along with cherry blossom petals and Kay's like oh i saw a person i saw the person in the red raincoat collapse in front of me uh so she's like it must have been me book me <laughs> yeah he's like well finally definitive proof i am a terrible human clearly i'm a murderer and blaze is like hell yeah clearly you're a murderer uh and uh, booker and so nobody can stop him like franzi tries gumshoe tries everybody tries to stop him um and Kay's arrested and edgeworth is also arrested because he for two reasons helping Kay evade arrest and also illegally investigating the crime <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Right. Why would they even consider that a crime anymore in Ace Attorney? It happens every day, but it, they he, they get him. Yeah, they get him. He's They did got him. So we go sleep in jail that night. The next day, Edgeworth is in the cell, and they took everything away from him, except Kay's Yadagarasu badge. That's the only thing he has left. So the guards come up, and they're like, uh, Dick Gumshoe's coming to visit. And uh, he's like, fine, let him in. It's actually Judge Courtney. And she's like, haha, I fooled you. <laughs> And he's like, but why? What do you want? And she's like, well, I wanted to figure out why you keep fighting the PIC. And so Edgeworth briefly is like, I went through a bunch of character development in the first three games. <laughs> Did you miss it? 
And she's like, interesting. Well, uh, can we I interest you in a Nintendo Switch? And <laughs> yeah. then you can play the O Tree HD yeah, like, Trilogy for $19.95. It's usually on sale. Why don't you play One Two Three Phoenix Connection or whatever? Um, she's like, well, interesting. Uh, we rescheduled your hearing for this morning. Toodles. And she leaves. But uh, she seems like, like she like grasped, grasped something in this meeting. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, important for her. Although she doesn't tell us anything. Yeah. Um, so Kay and Blaze show up, even though this doesn't make any sense because Kay's in prison for murder. So why is she just wandering around? Great question. Um... Presumably Blaze brought her. I don't know. Anyway, so Kay's like, I'm sorry for ruining your life, Edgeworth. And then she runs away. Don't, don't worry. She's only a, uh, currently under suspect for murder. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. And so Blaze is like, ha ha ha. And he mocks them for, you know, being having emotions. But Edgeworth is like, starts a logic chess because he's going to try and get as much info out of Blaze while he can, like, during this short amount of time. So... In Logic Test, we point out that the arrest was rushed, and the investigation was not sufficient, and the arrest was just not lawful. And Blaze tries to, like, throw around his title as chairman of the PIC and chief prosecutor, and look at how big and busy and important he is. But Edgeworth absolutely, like, he's trying to be intimidating, and Edgeworth just doesn't give a fuck. Um, And eventually Edgeworth is like, you know more than you're saying. And Blaze is like, well, I've read the case files, all of them, 100% all the way through. And no joke, this is the pedantic bullshit that we get him on, which is like, how did you read all the case files if you're also really busy? Is that how we got him? <laughs> That's what we get him on. God, he's such uh, he's so, he's such a fuck. <laughs> so Blaze then lets it slip that Kay had been given the incriminating evidence, right? Right. So you also, like, I, I just, I keep going back to be painting this picture because you gotta understand, Blaze. This is a stinky hippie man crying, <laughs> well, wringing his beard out, and then saying how busy he is and powerful he is. Hippie and- is a wrong, hippie is, hippie is a term, like, like a, it's it's apt, but it's not full. Because don't forget that his shirt is vacuum formed to his abs and he's dressed, like, in a leather, in red leather. So I just, like, I don't have a better word, I guess, or a better, like, stereotype to come to. There's, I, I think that he is, I wish I could stereotype him, but the more, like, and you, at first you look at him and you're like, biker, and then you look closer and you're like, hippie, and then you're like, why are you wearing swim goggles? So, like, the more that you, you, he is beyond, he's, he's, he's absolutely beyond stereotype, because also then you look at him and you're like, he's a rude dude, and then when he talks, he talks like he's a big, scary, powerful, like, he talks like he wants to be Shelly to kill her. But also a grandpa. But also a grandpa. And then his, I don't know if this vocal tick is more uh, cool in the Japanese, but in the the translation we played, which is, of course, a fan translation, so give them some, you know, they get all the credit in the world, but he ends, like, most of his sentences with, you know, so he'll say something like, well, we gave that girl the evidence, you know, like, all the time. Anything he's saying, he ends it with, you know. Yeah, so there's some sort of weird uh, tick. I will also well, he's, say... I, I think it's, like, to try and make him sound casual. Like, he certainly does not speak with gravitas. I feel like the saying you know at the end of the sentences is a, like, translation choice from, like, a common sentence ending, like, ne in Japanese. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think... He, uh, I like, think... you know, he ne, ne. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it. that's essentially what it signifies. It's almost like adding a question mark to the end of every sentence, which 
millennials get a lot of shit for doing. I also, I think it's not entirely like, it's not like a wrong translation because I think that the implication there is like, he's, everything he says ends with a question because he's trying to do that manipulative thing of like, this is your idea. I'm giving you this and you have to agree with me because, you know, like, this is how it's gonna be, you know? Like, this is, which is fitting for his characters. Yeah. Is that sort of... Want to point out? Uh, apparently, his name in Japanese is Banzai Ichiyanagi, so Banzai is his first name. Banzai, <laughs> which is a very different tone than Blaze, but I'm into both of them, though. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, sorry, just go back to the summary. Okay, so yeah, so sorry, we get him on. How how could you possibly have read all the case files if you're so busy and important? And he's like, well, I gave her the incriminating evidence, and Edgeworth is like. Uh, he's like, I got you pinned to rights. He's like, Edgeworth is like, you did it then. And he's like, basically, Blaze is just like, the truth that you believe in is worthless. Kay Faraday's the culprit, and that's the truth, even if I have to manufacture it myself single-handedly. And also, I have, and there's nothing you could do about it. Bye. <laughs> like, that's... Blaze out. That's Blaze. Blaze out. And, uh, when I was writing this, I was sort of watching, I was looking at the wiki, and I was watching the stream on double speed. I don't recommend that. But, um, so at this point in the stream, we kind of talked about more about Blaze, like we're doing right now. And so we talked about, like, Blaze is a kind of a fusion of Garon and Gant and Grossberg (laughs) all all fused (laughs) together. Like, their approaches to the truth. I guess Um, that, yeah, that's very accurate. Good job, us. And then Kevin's, Kevin also added that Blaze is kind of a smattering of a pathetic bully on top of the Garon Gant Grossberg fusion. Um, but that is going to come up more next case than it is this case. Although this yeah. case, Blaze does have some bits of testimony where it's literally titled, I'm going to bully you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess like when you're playing it at a point, it doesn't, phase you because you're like yeah that's exactly what's happening i mean it it, he is gonna bully you like it's not wrong but it's so the pathetic bulliness does start to come out but i think the patheticness is gonna really come out next case so we won't talk about that much but all of that is true um but your point about the garon gant grossberg situation was you the point you made was like since we played this case before we played spirit of justice or not we played reverse since we played spirit of justice before we played this case do people who played Spirit of Justice feel a little cheated with Garon? Is she just a ripoff of Blaze to them? Because it's the same sort of... Her thing was, I can um, mold the truth because I make the laws, and Blaze is, I can mold the truth because I have so much power. And I think now that we've finished the whole game, you know, I think they spun it differently enough where I don't feel... I don't feel cheated, basically, but... yeah. I, the question still holds, I feel. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I agree. Like, I, I feel like they're distinct and different for, like, aesthetically speaking, but also their success rate. <laughs> their right. success rate on crimes is different. <laughs> uh, but uh, if anyone was in the situation where they played this game and before they played Spirit of Justice, I would really like to know your thoughts. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, blaze out. and We go to PIC hearing time. This isn't important, but it is important to me. It's 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> so we had all those conversations uh, with Blaze and with Courtney prior to 8.30 in the morning. 
Which I guess, like, Edward's up at 6 a.m. every day. Or 5.30 a.m. every day. I yeah. believe this in my heart. He's always up before, like, the crack of dawn. I mean... And these other people do not... Well, Blaze actually might be a sleep-till-noon kind of person, <laughs> to be honest. Blaze but... does strike me as a sleep-till-noon kind of dude. Uh, but also, like, it's 8.30 a.m., which I only state because we had a really long day yesterday... And this is the start of today for Edgeworth. And today will last not only through the end of this case, but through the end of next case. Oh, yeah. This is Edgeworth in a very bad long day, part 18. Part 18, yeah. So um, the PIC hearing is basically a trial. So we we air the, um, the accusations against Edgeworth, the illegally investigating a crime and uh, harboring, you know, helping a someone who is wanted by the police. Um, but we also run through the murder, right? The what mm-hmm. what is what Kay is accused of. Also we're doing this in the PIC hearing room where there was just a dead body on the table and a pool of blood in the background. Yeah. How nice of them to have cleaned that up before this happened. Yeah. Uh, and also just to note, um, Edgeworth is here, Kay is here, even though she should be in prison. Mm-hmm. Um Ray is not here. Gumshoe is not here. Franzi is not here. Emma is not here. Courtney wow. and Sebastian are here. Wow, it's like none of our uh, witnesses or key key personnel are. It's okay. Lot of heart is here. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. Our key most key personnel is here. Yeah. Thank the Lord. Right. Um, Lot is a bad penny. We can't get rid of her. No. Yeah. Lot is is stuck to our shoe for the rest of the game. Basically. Okay. So. We, we describe the murder and the charges. Uh, Edgeworth admits that, yes, he legally, illegally investigated. He was not allowed to investigate, and he did anyway. But he objects to the claim that Kay is the culprit. And I guess, therefore, he didn't help a murderer because, I don't know. Anyway, so Blaze is like, okay, I like you, kid. If you would just withdraw your objections here, you could be on this side of the bench tomorrow. Like, basically, like, if you want a spot on the PIC, you have it. You just have to withdraw your objection. And Edgeworth is like, fuck you. I want you to testify about the case so I can rip it to shreds. Hell yeah, Edgeworth. Hell yeah. So uh, Blaze is like, okay, Courtney, you can give, you can do the, basically the testimony on behalf of the PIC. So Courtney is, here's Courtney's statement of the case. Jill Crane won the bid at the auction for the red raincoat which was from the first case of this game, the President Dijon Huang potential uh, assassination attempt, right? Shelley the killer. Mm-hmm. She won the bid and she wore it up to the viewing platform, then was attacked by Kay. That's the theory of the case. Uh, this contradicts the testimony and photo from Lada, which was which Edgeworth is like, that was taken after the killing blow. Lada heard it with her ears, the killing blow. And then also there was a lot of blood. Uh, you know, this, that clearly there was, there was blood on the hand in the picture. There's a lot of blood on the floor. It was clearly after the killing blow. But maybe she didn't die at that instant. So maybe she stayed alive long enough to climb the ladder and encounter Kay and then fell over from her wounds. That's how Edgeworth goes around this. Mm-hmm. Cordy's like, this contradicts the autopsy because the, the autopsy said that the head wound was after death and that death was instant from the candelabra stabbing. So we're like, well, better talk to Grandma who did the autopsy. So we've summoned Grandma Bonnie Young. 
While we're waiting, Courtney's like, who was the auction conductor anyhow? And Edgeworth is like, Blaze de Best. <laughs> that was the auction conductor. Blaze is like, waves this off and he's like, that's all hearsay because I talked to you in prison. Whatever. Uh, only Kay's confession matters despite the fact that she has amnesia. And Edgeworth's like, that's a reliable witness. Right, and, and not a reliable witness. And also keeps compulsively confessing. And so Blaze and Edgeworth make a deal and. and Blaze is basically like, if I ask Kay Faraday if she did it and she confesses one more time, case is over. She's guilty. And Edgeworth is like, fine. Kay, please tell us anything you remember at all that could help make you innocent. Stop worrying about me and my career because I'm going to find the truth regardless of what you think or feel, basically. is what he says. <laughs> yeah. So Kay is like, I remember that the person in the raincoat had uh, the Muzilla doll, the one-horned Muzilla doll with them. And Blaze is like, bullshit. But Cordy's like, well, you did say that her memories are the entire foundation of the case, so we have to go with it. Bring the doll down. So they look at the doll and they realize, like, oh, you turn the horn on the doll and it plays a recorded message. <sighs> so we hear the message and it says... Person one speaking says, I knew who you were right away. You can't hide that burn from me. And then person two says, dot, 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 dot. Person one says, silence, huh? I've been waiting for my chance to get revenge all this time. And then there's a scream. And we can't tell any voices because we've established that everyone who went to this auction is wearing a mask. Everyone who's wearing a mask has a voice changer on it. Right, yeah. Uh, But hearing this, Edgeworth's like, got him. The burn is clearly Crane's hand burn, so this is clearly the moment of the murder. And the culprit must have been the conductor because there's no reason that anyone else would have killed a person and then tried to hide all the blood, done this like moving with the body and the blood, because no one is invested in hiding the secret auction except for the conductor of the auction. Therefore, she was killed by the conductor, who is also probably a PIC member. Um, but for some reason, this is, you know, Blaze is still like, fuck you, that's not, you can't prove anything. But what this does do is Lada suddenly remembers something she didn't tell us before, is that the gavel at the auction stopped being used after the, her, like, hearing of the murder. But she's like, 11 people went in to the auction and 11 people came out. Like, I saw 11 people down there even after the murder, so there was no reduction in the number of people. And everyone's like, uh-oh, this is going to destroy Edgeworth's case. Yep. Luckily, just then, Karen and Dr. Young roll in. And so we're like, Grandma, what's going on with your autopsy? Because you wrote down that the head wound was was uh, after death. And she's like, I would never do such a thing. I wrote down that the head wound was the cause of death and the stab wound happened after death. The entire time. No mistakes. And so we all look at Karen, and she's like, yes, I falsified the autopsy report, but I won't tell you why. <laughs> she wasn't that evil about it. No, she was just like, I can't, I okay, I did it, and I feel very guilty, but I can't tell you, you know, I can't tell you why. So Edgeworth is like, aha, an accomplice. That means that that's how the number of people didn't change. Nurse Karen took the place of... Jill Crane at the auction after she died. And so Karen freaks out at this and then beats her grandma about the head until Karen faints. 
And now we should pause here. And so the way that Grandma and Karen uh, interact is that uh, Karen is always holding Grandma's hand. Grandma whispers to her, and then Karen, like, says whatever Grandma was gonna say to us. So Grandma never speaks directly to us. It's always through Karen. Uh, oftentimes, Grandma will hit her with her cane, like, up the back of the head. And uh, Karen will, in turn, like, smack her bun I guess, which is like smacking her across the back of the head. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. I will say the bun is as big as grandma's head. So smacking the bun, like grandma, Karen doesn't actually make contact with grandma's body when she does the smack. Although having your hair smacked violently would hurt. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, uh, Karen faints and then she wakes up and she's like, okay, I help, I help the conductor. Um, Cause the conductor, the conductor was blackmailing me and the conductor thought crane would attack him, the conductor, so Karen hid in the lock trunk in the storeroom along with two wigs, a straight wig and a wavy wig. And then after the murder, Karen traded places with Jill Crane, taking her clothes and taking one of the wigs, but she felt really bad about it, so she covered Crane up with the raincoat so she wasn't, like, dead and naked. Um, and then Karen went downstairs and on instruction from the auction conductor, bid on and won the trunk that she hid the body in and so she wins the trunk and then goes back upstairs and finds oh no the trunk is empty and Kay Faraday's collapsed near a ladder after falling down the hatch so Karen's like fuck she goes and recovers Crane's body and then takes like Kay's body and puts them both in the trunk until the auction's officially over um and then and she also dressed the replica like dressed Jill Crane's body in a replica of the conductor's clothes, shoved them both in the trunk, and then took Karen took the raincoat so that nobody finds out about her, like, putting it over top of the body. Okay, we get through all that. In bursts Franzi to the room with an updated autopsy report. You know, her, hey favorite, her favorite thing. Saving our life all the time. So this autopsy report says that, the, the, that Jill Crane died by beaten, being beaten to death with a blunt cylindrical object in the head, and that the chest wound was done post-mortem. Blaze is fucking pissed, and he's like, Franzi, you have no authority. Uh, and Franzi's like, fuck you, I'm Interpol. And that, that works. So Courtney's like, a blunt cylindrical object? That sounds like a gavel. And so she immediately is like, we gotta find this gavel. Cops, go find the gavel. Um, and then, what a twist, she indicts Blaze. Uh, Courtney, Courtney. yeah, Courtney indicts Blaze. And Courtney says that the real reason that she was in the room last night was to investigate the IS-7 incident. Daddy's last case, the last case that we did, Daddy Edgeworth. Um, She was trying to figure out why the corpse was missing and never reported. And she reveals that what she found was that Manfred von Karma did not order the corpse uh, be covered up. The fact that the corpse was (coughs) missing. Actually, the chief prosecutor ordered that the corpse... Like, the missing corpse be covered up. And Manfred never even knew. Uh, And then the chief prosecutor also coerced Dr. Bonnie into writing a fake autopsy report about the missing corpse. So that they could use it at trial. This was the blackmail that Nurse Karen used. It was actually blackmail a bit about grandma. So the conductor said, I'll tell the world that your grandma forged an autopsy report unless you help me. And that's how Karen ended up doing a lot of bad things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Edgeworth is like, Karen, 
can you please think of anything that might help us identify the conductor? Like, they blackmailed you. Did you see their face? No, they were in the mask. Okay, how can we identify them? She's like, well, actually, um, the conductor was wearing that mask that showed the chin area, and I saw a tattoo on his jaw. And so, uh, we're all like, what? And Sebastian DeVest is like, um, what? And... Courtney is on a roll, though. She can't be stopped. So Courtney's like, actually, Jill Crane has been hunting Blaze DeBest for years. Uh, and Blaze is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I never even met that lady. And I never even knew she had a burn on her hand until after the murder. And Courtney is like, uh, well, Edgeworth is like, is that even true? And Courtney's like, well, she did wear gloves all the time to cover her burned hand. And uh, so Edgeworth is like, aha, that means that the recording was actually the victim. So the person speaking in the recording who said, I recognize that burn anywhere, was actually Jill Crane. And the person with the burn was the culprit. It was not a tattoo. It was a burn mark on the jaw. And Sebastian's like, um, a face burn? A, fa- a face burn? A face burn, you say. <laughs> a face burn, you say. And Blaze is Sebastian like... Sebastian is sweating. Yeah, Sebastian is very, like, oh no. And so Blaze is like, shut up, Sebastian. You're worthless and... Sebastian's like, but I worked, but Danny, I worked so hard and I became a big, big boy prosecutor just for you. And Blaze is like, you never earned anything. I paid for or cheated every accomplishment you've ever had, Sebastian. And you're too dumb to even figure that part out. And you're useless to me. And don't you say anything. And Sebastian is uh, sad and runs away crying. Listen, Uh. was Blaze wrong? No. However... Still rude. Right, yeah, which Courtney's, like, very upset about. Courtney's like, how could you say that to him? And Blaze is like, shut up, you were using Sebastian to get to me. You didn't even care about him. And Courtney's like, yeah, I do care about him. Yes, I was also using him, but I do care about him. I could do both. <laughs> and and meanwhile, Edgeworth is like, hmm, Sebastian revealed the truth to me through his reaction. Aha, the wavy wig was a fake beard. The wavy wig is a fake beard, fake beard, beard weave. <laughs> I, I, Stephanie, am very upset at this point. Uh, yes. Somebody's very upset. We're very upset. Uh, so Blaze freaks out and he does his break animation, which is that his lighter goes like super giant, like a geyser of fire. And he burns off his beard, all of it, and also all of his hair. And so sure enough, on his chin, uh, there's a burn mark uh, and he's arrested. Gotcha, bitch. We did it. We did boosh, it, boosh, fam. Boosh, boosh, boosh. Um, so we go to the wrap up, uh, Courtney comes over and she's like, Blaze actually said that like, he didn't actually forge all those notes, the notes between Kay and, and Jill Crane. Uh, he just found them and planted them while he was trying to frame her. So I don't know what that means. And then Courtney's like, meanwhile, Jill Crane, let's talk about her. Jill Crane's boyfriend 12 years ago was a photojournalist who was trying to track down the black market auction. And then he was murdered. So she took all of his evidence and was trying to solve that case and his murder after these 12 long years. But luckily, they're both now avenged because Blaze DeBest is being brought to justice. So that's fine. We're all cool there. Glad we wrapped it up. (laughs) Glad we wrapped it up and that won't come up next case at all. Um, And so Kay still has amnesia right now. And she's like, what happened to that nice prosecutor boy? And so... uh, Courtney's like, I can't reach Sebastian, which is really bad because now it's 9.15 a.m. and he has court in 45 minutes to prosecute Patricia Rowland. God, it's it's only 9.45 a.m., it's huh? No, it's only 9.45. It's nine, no, it's 9.15. It's only 9.15. We did that all in 45 minutes. 
impressive, really, but... Uh, so Courtney leaves to go find Sebastian and prepare for court because she's, of course, the judge on that case. Um, Edgeworth doesn't get his badge back because Kay's like, what about your badge? Uh, and Edgeworth is fine with that. He's like, I made my choice and I'm happy with that. And also, Kay, here's your promise notebook that was planted next to the body, which is something that she wrote as a kid for her dad is promises that she was going to fulfill. Um, and so I believe we referenced back in the first uh, investigations game. It is in the first game. So she, he finally gets that back. It was evidence from the first investigations game. Kay remembers all the promises and gets all her memories back. And I I guess that's enough for her to earn her normal clothes (laughs) because she puts back on her normal clothes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and she remembers everything. So we ask her like, what really happened to you? And so the night of the incident, Kay was actually at Gord Lake standing next to a cherry tree because somebody called her and said meet me at gourd lake and she did so while at gourd lake she was drugged by somebody wearing a red raincoat and then the next thing she knew she was at the viewing platform and the raincoat person was dead on the ground in front of her and that scared her so she stumbled backwards and fell down the hatch and not all 52 floors of that building no just yeah just one floor and and it's less cool, but that's fine. She lived. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and she swacked her head pretty badly, and that's why she had amnesia. Amnesia. And so you're like, do you remember these notes, Kay? And she's like, nope, don't. I don't remember writing that note. Um, and right just then we hear a mysterious noise in the storeroom. And so we go upstairs, and it's a transceiver that's buzzing. Uh, and it was the one used by Shelley to kill her previously, although it looks totally different than the one from Justice for All. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Anyway, the so we click, hello, this is Miles Edgeworth speaking. Um, and Shelly the Killer is on there and says, congratulations, but there is a mastermind behind the scenes at work who you have not caught. And the letters that Kay doesn't remember, that's proof. Uh, and sh- and Edgeworth is like, did you write the letters? And Shelly the Killer is like, why would I write the letters? But uh, I'm very curious to see what you do now that you're disbarred. Uh, so I'll be watching. Bye. And uh, Edgeworth is like, well, it looks like we have an investigation on our hands. And that's the end of the case. Wow. What a, what a long case. <laughs> it was not as long as the last case, I'll say. Not the daddy long. case was twice as long as this one. No, I guess it's it, this one actually like mostly in my now memory because it's like a because I have the memory of a goldfish. So it's like, you know, like a whole month out from my brain of like when we played this. Right. Um, so it's just kind of meshed together with the fifth case a lot. Like yeah. the details. Because there's so. a lot of detail. And the fifth case is longer. So there's a lot of details from this that are going to get pulled into the next case in a, in yeah. a good way. Yeah. It, and I will say like, I'm very happy with the way that it pulls. But in terms of just this case isolated... I mean, so my feelings were I thought I would have a lot more, like, takeaways or, like, good character from, like, the Kay uh, Edwards dynamic in this. And I didn't get that. Instead, I got very, like, uncomfortable and upset <laughs> a lot about how everybody handled Kay's amnesia. No, yeah. It just every- Everyone did a pretty bad job with Amnesia Kay. Yeah, and it was just like, yeah, her personality switched. And so it was like, oh, like, look at this totally different person. But it was just like... She's constantly throwing herself under the bus that everyone is constantly bullying her for details, even though they're trying to be nice to her. And then, like, it's also her blaming herself for everything. And so you have a difficult client because she doesn't remember anything. 
Yeah. But I think all the other aspects of the case were really good. I, you know, I liked how he pulled in everybody, and I guess I like how it carries over to the next case. We see Courtney try to, like, get, like, get answers and try to grow as a person. We do have to destroy Sebastian before we can potentially build him back <laughs> yeah, up. we do. Um, I think that the K aspect is, while it's not delicately handled because of her amnesia, I think it's intentional, um, especially Edgeworth's treatment of her, because, because I was thinking about this as I was summarizing it, this is a direct parallel to the DL6 case when Edgeworth is like, I had a bad dream that I was a murderer, and so please absolutely give me the death penalty. And so somebody trying, they wanted to do a mirror of somebody trying to throw themselves towards the guilty verdict as fast as possible. Um, do I think that it was delicately done? Like, it's like, yeah, it feels bad this time, but it also felt bad when it was Edgeworth. It's true. I guess the stakes are different because when it was Edgeworth, you had your Edgeworth sprites and a grown man beating himself up for the past. This time around, we have a very distressed set of, of sprites that really reflect this, like, situation. The entirety of the difference is summed up in the fact that they gave her a brain in- injury to do it, right? Like, with Edgeworth, you're just, like, you're, you're uh, you know, having your deep trauma, right? Like, you, you're not okay, but you understand what you're doing and the stakes of it, whereas Kay has got a concussion, <laughs> Right. Like like, she was taken by a medical professional and dumped on you. And your response to that is, well, I am one insulted that you would forget about me and two going to berate you until you remember the truth. Um, Which doesn't feel good because she is injured. She's injured. And she also like her guilt really stems from like. Like, she's, like, really, like, in the way that Edgeworth was, like, really, like, I am guilty and I did something and I I don't even understand really what happened, but just book me. Just, just take me away. And it's, I think it's the difference of, like, this is a young girl versus a grown man. She doesn't actually know anything. He actually did know things. He just put himself in that position where he's like, no, this is true. And she doesn't know what's true. Yeah. Can't know what's true because she doesn't remember. Right. And then you got a horn dog hitting on her. Yeah, and that's, that's, listen, Ray's presence in this case fucking sucks. Uh, There's no necessary point for Ray. Well, it just, it just absolutely feels like he's trying to take advantage of her because she has had this personality shift to be much more demure. uh, And so he's, you know, moving in and uh, that's terrible and that sucks. Um, The, the interesting angle with the Edgeworth versus Uh, Kay trying to become guilty as fast as possible is also, I think, like what you talked about, um, is the difference between Edgeworth and Phoenix, too. Is like, Phoenix handles the situation with kind of compassion that Edgeworth lacks. They both do the same thing, which is like, I'm gonna find the truth whether you like it or not. But, um... The difference there is that Phoenix is like, you're not guilty. I believe that you're not guilty. Uh, And Edgeworth won't testify. Like, Edgeworth just refuses to answer. And he says, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. Whereas Kay is trying to provide information and help. And Edgeworth is just berating her the whole time. And and making her feel bad. 
and he's not even saying like you know he's his action like he's one of those like my actions of i gave up my badge and i'm okay with my career being oh like my prosecutor career being over to prove that you didn't do a thing i'm okay with that but it's like it it's not the like okay let me give you a hug let's just sit down and let's work on this like you know i believe in you let's trust in my belief he's like i know that k faraday wouldn't do this the k faraday i know like it's like very much the wrong angle yeah and i really think that that's sort of uh accentuated by the fact that we lose gumshoe like gumshoe was kind of being he was a little bit of uh he was sad he was like how could you forget about me but he was also like tempering edgeworth's attack dog nature of about it right so gumshoe would be like like, hey be nice you know she's you know she's got amnesia you know but then and he would like speak to k like hey k like hey do you like like do you need a glass of water do you need to sit down (laughs) right yeah but instead like when edgeworth loses his badge gumshoe is out like he's not out of the case but he's out of the case so k is just kind of goes through this pattern of being driven to a breaking point and then running away, which is sad, you know, because I don't want to do that to her. And that's not how I would behave if I was there. Yeah. So I think it was just like, I I saw like the images of like Kay in a hospital gown around on like the internet for a long time. So I don't want to say I was excited for this case, but I was anticipating this case because I knew it'd be Kay focused. And I personally, you know, adore Kay. And it was not... It's not what I expected in, like, a a miss kind of way. Not like a, oh my god, I should have expected it to be this terrible. It, it There's no way I could have expected it to be this kind of framing, I guess. Well, I certainly, when I saw those pictures of Kay, thought it was going to be a situation where we go visit Kay in the hospital and then leave, you know, and do our work. And she's in right. the hospital. So, like, my surprise was like, oh no, we drag her around with us the whole time. Yeah. So, and I, I can't stress this enough, she looks exactly like Kay, and Edgeworth has fucking face blindness, and is like, I don't know who this child is, because her hair is down, and that, her clothes Yeah, are that kind of set us up for failure, too, is when Kay enters the room, and Gumshoe and Edgeworth fucking don't recognize her, it was like an immediate, like, woof, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the introduction of Blaze is very interesting, and I think we can get more into Blaze next case um and i think i covered basically the gist of my feelings on the rest of it yeah i mean Um, i I like blaze as a villain here as just being like an absolute piece of shit which we don't usually we rarely get villains in this series that are just as terrible as they walk out yeah that are like you i mean we get them where it's like you fucking did it but i feel like in recent times the the games have tried to like make the villains less like well, that one's the murderer. But even when they do that, they are not on screen constantly. Whereas Blaze is constantly here being like, hey, remember me? I'm an absolute piece of shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, Lotta being around is, like, classic. Emma being around was delightful. Um, Franzi yeah. being around it was great. Because Franzi actually has an emotional, like, response to Edgeworth stuff. And it's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think that Emma's little cameo was not necessary, but it was done on purpose because it was like, you need a cop. You need a forensics cop. Gumshoe can't be with you. So she was brought in. She was the perfect character for it. But they kind of, her leaving is uh, not 
we just don't talk about it. Emma just disappears. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't like necessarily shoehorned in Super Bowl, and we didn't actually use a lot of her forensics. Like, the games did not let us mechanically engage with Emma as much as we should have. Right, and but... then she's going to pop up in the next case, but it's just going to be equally inorganic, where it's like, we need Emma's here, and why are you here, and we're not going to talk about it, and we need her for one specific thing, and then she's leaving. Yep. Uh, which is like... Ace Attorney generally does, like, ever since Emma's been introduced, like, her first case, great. Ever since then, we've been kind of just trying to shove her in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I feel bad about Emma. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I, I do overall think it was still, like, a okay case. Like, not top tier. Yeah, I liked terrible, it. I mean, I, it's, but... it's still really good compared to some of, some of the stinkers we've had. Um, I really, really, really like this case. But even in this game... It's overshadowed because this game has got so many solid cases. Yeah, um, I think it, this is like a very much. It's an important case because it's a very like obviously bridge case, and it's a setup case. But man, like even on its own, it's still good. Yeah. But yeah, uh, let us know your thoughts and opinions, or if you have any clarifying questions. Unless Michelle, you got anything else to add? Nope, I don't think so. That's it. All right, let us know what your thoughts, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Uh, at objectivethispodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us at tum- uh, objectivethis.tumblr.com uh, you know, the usual places. Yeah. Uh, We're on... Podcast Let Garden. me not fuck this up. No, Podbean. No, Pod- damn it. Well, I said, I was like, Podbean. No, it's not Podbean. No, it's Podbean. It is Podbean. It's Podbean. It's Podbean. We, we had a garden bean. and we produced a bean. So go find <laughs> us at our new home on Podbean. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and uh, whatever you do on those other on Stitcher and Spotify to like us or follow us, do that. But also, if you if, if you feel like uh, tossing us a comment on Apple Podcasts, uh, that'd be nice. It's been a while. Um, thanks, Dark Shadow Rage, to off the YouTubes for the use of our theme song, Hey Pal, a Detective Gumshoe remix. Thanks, Michelle, for the garbage at the end. You got it, dude. Uh, in the and you know, in the meantime, please continue to email us and just your thoughts, your feelings. Uh, your anime versus plausibles, your babies with guns. We'll we'll take care of them. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm Stephanie. I'm Michelle. And that was object to this, so why don't you object to that? Just dancing gracefully across my